can't bear all things. I can't believe all things. I can't hope all things. And love never fails. But that's not my love because my love fails on a daily basis. 1 Corinthians 13 is not about your love. Okay? You got that? All right. Like nod your head if you... (laughs) 1 Corinthians 13 is about God's love for you. Right? It's perfect love. Amen? And I think when we look at our spouse, and I want to talk about marriage today, and if you're single... Or if, you know, if you're divorced or if, you're, if your marriage has ended, please never think and don't look at this message in a condemning way that I should have done better. I should have changed things. I would have done things differently. I think that we could all look at ourselves like that. And regret, by the way, regret is never God's will in your life. Living in regret is not the mind of God. Regret is what a person does that has no hope in their life. We live with this sense of um, revenging disobedience with obedience. And so regret never leads us to anywhere positive. It never leads us to a place of growth. Regret always leads to a place of condemnation. And so if a marital disaster or if there was a marital um, breakdown in your, in your life and that's part of your timeline, then that is not who you are today. And, and, and I just want to say also this about if you're divorced, don't let the devil beat up your self-image. I think... I think that that can be so easy to happen where the devil just says, you know what, you blew it. Uh, You did this, you did that. And I think all day we could just agree with the devil like, yeah, I blew that, that was wrong, that was... But I think what God has for us today is 1 Corinthians 13, perfect love. It bears all things, it believes all things. And I wanna look at that with you uh, this morning. Last week we said four things and I wanna review them quickly. Number one, we live in a society that is narcissistic by nature and very self-aware very self-conscious. And the attitude and that kind of thinking is what can I get out of this relationship? People get into relationships, they find each other online, they get into a relationship, they meet up at a restaurant and they're thinking, what can I get out of this relationship? Number two, self-love. Self-love, not God's love, but self-love is easily wounded. It's easily hurt because it's so geared to our own self and to our our own self-consciousness. An example is Cain. Cain was wounded because God didn't accept his sacrifice. He was offended. He was wounded. God rejected it. He was offended and he was never healed. Self-love is always going to be wounded. Number three, God's love is a seeking love. God's love is so sufficient in itself. It is so secure in itself. It is so happy with itself. It is so in love with the Trinity. The Trinity is so in love with each other. God loves the Son and the Spirit wants to talk about the Son, and the Son loves the Father, wants to do the Father's will. The, the Trinity is the absolute miracle of humility and, and, and love. And you and I, when we got saved, when we, put our, when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we were ushered into the Trinity in Christ, and we are in Christ today. We are, we are in that love, we are being loved on by, by the by Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is reflecting and of Romans 5 verse 5, daily on a, on, a, on a daily basis, reflecting that love to who we, to you and I, to who we are in Christ. And the Father never takes his eyes off the Son. That means God's eyes are never off of you. That's the love of God. God's, God's love is a seeking love. And when man sinned at the beginning of his story, at the beginning of the timeline of, of humanity, when, when man blew it, what did God do? God sought him out and put him in a frame, put him in a place. He put him in a place, limited his options so that he could love him. 
God is, God is love. And when we say that, if we get that turned around, then we make being loved into our an idol. But if I, get, if I don't understand God's love and I get that turned around, then my, driv- my seeking in my life is to be loved, is to make being loved my God. And every relationship I get into, if I'm not careful to be quickened in the love of Christ, then I'm going to be drawing and pulling for that relationship the things that I need, affirmation, um, recognition, security, all of these things that we seek in a relationship. God's love is a seeking love. And because it's self-sufficient, it's self, it, is self, uh, it, is, it is healthy, it is whole, it is perfect, then it can freely love without looking at itself. And so I wanna just say four things this morning. Number one, the miracle of marriage. I just wanna talk about how much of a miracle it is. It's such a miracle. Number two, the frailty of marriage. Number three, I wanna talk about the enduring love of Christ in marriage. And number four, what does a happy marriage look like? What does that look like, okay? And then I wanna close with that. So the miracle of marriage in Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 29 this is a chapter, by the way, it's interesting to note in Ephesians chapter five, <clears throat> this book, the book of Ephesians, the context of this book is a context of the body of Christ. Our marriages are not gonna work without the body of Christ. We need to be in the body, amen? We need a community around us. We need people that are, gonna, uh, that are going to build us up, that are going to reflect other marriages in the body that are mature in Christ, that have been through some, through some minefields together. And that's the body of Christ, our marriage. My wife needs to be in the body of Christ. She needs, she has to have her own vertical with God. She needs to be in the body of Christ. She needs to be a member in particular, Gosha, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You as a wife or you as a husband need to be baptized into the body of Christ. And if you don't know what your portion is, just show up and get loved on. <laughs> That's it. Just say, you know what? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do in this church. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with God. I don't know how I'm supposed to be loved by God. But I'm going to just come and I'm going to get loved up by God. And that's how I'm going to discover my place in the body of Christ. And then when we have a healthy vertical and a healthy relationship with God and we are being loved on by the body of Christ, we're in a body where we feel safe, then our marriage is going to get healed. Any marriage problem can, can, be, can, can get on the road of healing and recovery through anything by just getting into the body of Christ and you developing your relationship with God instead of the other person, the other spouse, the spouse trying to getting them fixed. And I think if we can look at first God's first love towards us, that perfect love, the miracle of marriage, it's such a miracle. When we say perfect love, the word perfect in the Old Testament always didn't refer necessarily first to a moral sense. The word perfect didn't you know, relate to something that was morally perfect in all the precepts and the commandments. Perfect, do you know what that meant in the Old Testament? It meant something because the Hebrew mindset was very holistic. The Greeks and the Romans, especially the Greeks, kind of would take things apart and then look at things as a, as a separate part and not how that part harmoniously works together with the whole package. For example, taking a carburetor, and do cars have carburetors anymore? I don't know. Taking a carburetor out of a car and to look at it 
The car's not gonna work without that carburetor and we're not gonna understand the carburetor without it being inside the car. And so perfection in the Hebrew mind was this, is it how the whole thing works together and how the whole, how every part, every part has its portion and how important every portion is. And this is how, this is the, this is the principle of perfection. And when we talk about perfect love, we're talking about something that's healthy. We're not talking some, about something that's narcissistic. We're not talking about something that is, that is broken. We're not talking about something that is by itself. We're talking about the perfect love of Christ that's healthy and it's pure and, and it's not broken. And so the miracle of marriage really is in Ephesians 5, verse 25 through 29. And I'm gonna read this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present to her, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she should be holy without blemish. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He, loves, he who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. You know, when we look at the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve left, they were kicked out. There was only one thing that came out of the garden that's in the world today. There's only one thing from the Garden of Eden that, Eden that still exists today. Everything else was locked up. Everything else was closed off. Everything else, the tree, the tree of life, everything was, was, was forbidden to enter. And you know what that was? Marriage. Two, married, uh, mar- two people that were married came out of the Garden of Eden. Marriage is a sign of all things in heaven and on earth coming together in Christ. All married, all of us that are married, we are signposts. We are billboards that are, that are signposts pointing to the way to the union that's in Christ forever. And Voskamp wrote it this way, and I, I, like, I just read her sometimes. She's um, just a unique writer um, and talks a lot about anxiety and nervousness and just many different things that people struggle with. And sometimes she has just this very poetic way of writing. And she writes this, every forever is made up of all the everydays. Every wedding aisle is a narrow way. Love is always the narrow way that limits our options, but expands and fulfills our soul. And to give your life to someone every day for the rest of your life means giving intentionally every day. Marriage was created by God to be a bulletproof picture of the unfailing love of God in that marriage, not the unfailing love of two people. Because if you have two people that get together in a relationship that they could feed off of each other, that each other is going to meet all of their needs without God, then that relationship is going to sink. It's going to, it's cursed because it's an end in itself. Marriage in an an end of itself will not work because marriage needs to have a mission. And I wanna just mention that in a few minutes. And that's why marriages today are the primary target of the enemy. I want you to think about this with me. The devil wants to destroy the United States. He wants to destroy this world, right? He wants to destroy our country. He wants to destroy, destroy the state of Texas. He wants to destroy Magnolia. He wants to destroy your neighborhood. And he wants to destroy your family. And how does he do that? By breaking up the marriage. By breaking up two people. By allowing something, having something come in that breaks, that breaks it. And that's why the devil, if the devil really wants to target your marriage. And that's why in a marriage, when we, there's a conflict or a breakdown of understanding, we need, to, we need to understand who the enemy really is, and it's not my spouse. 
My spouse is not the enemy. There's an unseen enemy that's accusing you to your spouse and your spouse to you. That's Romans chapter 12, verse 10. If you don't think the enemy is accusing you to your spouse or vice versa, if you don't think that the, the, the devil is trying to get in between you and your marriage, then, then we, need to, we need to wake up and understand that, that is, there is spiritual warfare in your marriage. There's an unseen force. And marriages are extremely fragile. You know, a marriage is rather a miracle than it is an accomplishment. You know, this year, by the total grace of God, I'm going to be married 30 years. And I can't even believe I'm saying that. And I don't even, th- I don't even feel like I'm older than 38. You know? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. 30 years. Like, and I know we have some marriages in here that are, that, are, that, are, that are older. I know one marriage is 50 years, right? And whenever, it's very interesting that whenever you talk to someone that's been married for a long time, it's, for me, it's, it's, always, it's always amazing because you don't get a huge handbook of information. You get maybe three or four words. Because as the longer you're married, the simpler things get, right? How many of you have been married for a while and agree with what I'm saying? The longer you're, <laughs> the longer you're married, it's the, things get more and more simpler like, you know, ask the husband, right? What do you attribute, you know, the, the duration of your marriage to? to your marriage to, and they'll usually say something funny like just listen to your wife and say, yes, honey, you're always right or something like that. Um, But you know, when you're married for a while, things get more and more simpler and that is because love is very simple. It's always simple. Marriage is a miracle. It's a miracle of Christ in you as a husband laying down your life for your wife and this is really beautiful and I saw it in such a fresh way this morning that as a husband, <clears throat> when we lay down our life for our wife, and we're pouring into our wife the best we can, and at 1 John 1, 9, getting up when we fail, and we're gonna fail 100 times in a day, and when we love our wife like that, you know what's happening to her? There's a sanctification going on inside of her soul. Isn't that amazing? There's a cleansing going on. I notice that like whenever I get really worried about something, <clears throat> and I'm just nervous about something, and I say something, my wife, like that affects my wife so much and she could, you know, she could so easily like re- reflect that back to me. And I think that what we say in our family, and I'm gonna grab um, something to drink here. In our family, we have to be so careful of our confession because our kids are hearing what we're saying as, a, as, par- as parents. And our wife, what we say to our wife can, can affect the relationship so much. As husbands, we need to take the spiritual head in the family. And maybe you don't feel like a pastor, maybe you don't feel like you're a spiritual person, but you know something, if you just open the Bible and read a chapter <clears throat> with your husband, I mean with your wife, just sit down and read it, you know, at the dinner table or whatever, whenever that time is, just say, hey, let's shut off all the phones um, and let's just read a verse. You just read it and just go around the table like, what does that mean to you? Go, you know, and I, th- I, th- I think that that would be, it doesn't have to be long, but just try that. You know, open the Bible. And I believe that God would honor that. I think as a, as a wife, um, I, think it, I think the nature of, of, of women are that they are responders. I had a tooth taken out earlier this week, and so <clears throat> my tongue is <laughs> trying to get used to a mouth that has, is missing a tooth. As, as wives, women are responders, and they're going to respond. And I think that that um, when, when your husband is, 
learning to take his place in leadership in the family. You may be more, maybe more adept in the word or maybe you're more, maybe you have more of a history with God or maybe um, you're a person that's more God aware or maybe you know the Bible more than your husband. And maybe your husband just got saved recently. And this, this is what happened in my family. My mom was a believer for a long time and then my, she married my dad who was not a believer. And then he got saved. And there was this process of her just encouraging my dad to grow in who he was as a spiritual head. And when that's happening, encourage your husband. You know, celebrate your husband and his leadership. Even if it's, you know, because I think men, husbands, we really need to get that affirmation. and We need to get that encouragement from our wives because it's not going to come from somewhere else. And so <clears throat> I think that if, if you're married and your husband is growing in his capacity, growing in who he is in Christ, praise the Lord because there is so much in the atmosphere against your husband because men, like, you know, women have an incredible um, un unmovable place in the kingdom of God and I think men of course as well and the devil wants to just shut down males he wants to intimidate men in the church he wants to do everything like he can so that the men just kind of sit in the back they're not being discipled they're not being raised up they're just kind of sitting in the back they're coming to church because their wife likes it and they their wife enjoys the church and they're just there and they're not getting developed you know what I think that's such a crime because God wants to use men, males, and please don't think I'm sexist here or something, but God wants to use, I mean, I don't know what you think of yourself as a man spiritually, but God has a calling on your life. And, and you, maybe you're not gonna be a pastor, maybe you're not gonna be a missionary, but, but you can be a leader in your, in your family and you could say something and God's gonna honor that because <clears throat> you're the spiritual head in the family. You and I as men, we could say something in our family and there's authority behind that because God is behind it. Do you got it? Like, you could pray over your wife. I just heard this the other day. Somebody told me, I prayed over my wife and God took away something from that she was suffering from. And I said, that's because you're the head of the household and God an answered your prayer and he actually, he honored it and he answered it despite, despite you and what you think about your spirituality. Man, I wanna say, the devil it fights against you and he fights against you hard. He's gonna always go, when, when the devil attacked the disciples, who did he attack first? He attacked Peter, right? Because Peter was, he was like, the, he was out front, he was leading. Leaders are gonna always be hit first. And so women, wives, pray for your husbands. Husbands, pray for your wives. Pray for your family, pray together. My wife and I will just go for walks sometimes, prayer walks, and we'll just walk and pray. We'll talk and then we'll say a prayer together and we'll talk some more and then we'll pray some more. It's kind of like a conversation. When we do that, we'll be amazed at the miracle of marriage. Ma marriage is, is frail. It's frail. And it's frail because there always has to be a dying for there to be loving. For us to love, it requires death. It requires dying. What's an example of that? Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 5. Jesus laid down his life. I think in a marriage... It's not 50-50 necessarily, what you gotta give and take, and, but it's two people 100% laying down their lives <clears throat> at the cross. <clears throat> it's people laying down their lives because when we lay down our lives, love can be expressed. It's interesting that someone may say, well, I don't feel like I'm getting what I need out of my marriage, and I think that that can happen a lot, and that could, happen, that could go on for years, you know? 
But I think that if, if you know Christ, if you know the Lord, if you're in Galatians chapter 6, if you consider yourself spiritual, if you lay down your life for your wife, she's made in a certain way that there's something that, and I don't know how it works, but there's something inside of a wife or a woman that when you lay down their, your life for them, there is this response. There's something that wakes up. There's this, and you continue to do it, and then there's this warming up, and then there's a capacity of compassion that she has for her husband. And I think as husbands, sometimes we feel like, I mean, for us, it's honor and respect. For women, I think it's more um, uh, security and love and appreciation. And I think that if we could, if men, if, if sometimes, you know, if we're, if we're, experiencing something and we don't sense we're getting compassion from our wife keep laying down your life keep laying down your life and as you do that the Lord's going to do something eventually in your wife and it's going to reciprocate as compassion and she's going to look at you and her compassion is going to be turned on and you're going to be like wow you know this is amazing and vice versa I think um, when we look at you know in first in first Peter chapter five verse seven wives Likewise, dwell with them, your wives, with understanding. And I like that. Just know your wife. Know, know her limits. Women, wives have limits. And, and different wives have different limits. And there's no cookie-cutter model of what a spiritual wife looks like. Some are going to be very gifted and can do a lot of things. Some of them, just to get to church, is a miracle. Like, don't, we don't compare our wives with other wives because that's not wise. When we lay down our life for our wife and we're speaking into her truth and we're speaking into her God's mind and Christ's love for them, that's going to build capacity. Dwell with them with understanding. And that word understanding is just a common word that we know in the Greek language for to know, giving honor to the wife. You know, honor, that Greek word timey, means honor is something that I give to something that I love. If I love something, I'm going to honor it. If I love something, I'm going to respect it. If I love something that I own, if I love, <clears throat> if, I, if I honor and respect my home, I'm going to give honor to it. I'm going to, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to cherish it. And when we do that with our wives, then we're, we're giving them honor as, as to the weaker vessel. And weaker vessel here does not mean less of importance or the less of the of, of ability. I think there are things that our wives can do that are so much more amazing than what we could ever do. I, there are things that my wife can do that are just eons ahead of me that I could even never imagine how to do it as being heirs together of the grace of life. That's what Peter said in First Peter chapter 5. Isn't that beautiful? Heirs together of the grace of life. You know what that means? It means that you and I, we are going to inherit together as a married couple the grace of God in life. I remember when, when I got married, when we got married, there's this anticipation, this excitement, this, this, this expectation about, you know, all the things that we're going to do together in life. You know, kids and this and that and business. And the, I think that if we dwell together understanding limitations and not pushing each other beyond the limitations, we're going to together enjoy the grace of life that your, par- that your prayers may not be hindered. And that's a shocking verse right there. Because if I, do, as a husband, don't dwell with my wife with understanding, and if I don't give honor to my wife as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, then my prayers 
could be hindered by God. I mean, they could be hindered. It could actually be that God's saying, like, I'm not going to answer your prayers. Um, you're praying all these incredible prayers. And what you're praying is not wrong, but it's just there's, it's, something's dislocated. Love and honor your wife. Respect her. Do your best. Minister to her. And as you do that, prayers are not going to be hindered. Um, all marriage vows are made by broken people who break promises. And this can break a heart, but this is always the mysterious way of, of how marriage works. Marriage can break us and it can remake us. And out of the wreckage that we experience in marriage can come resurrection. Uh, and Voskamp goes on and says, the only way to dig deep channels of communication is with the shards of a broken, open heart having the courage to break open our hearts in vulnerability so we can walk into a deeper intimacy. <clears throat> intimacy is impossible without opening up the heart, without vulnerability. And I think intimacy is something that, you know, we all crave it, but it can't exist if there's no vulnerability, if there's no authenticity, if there's no genuineness. And marriage is amazing. It's because you're put in a place where you are, we are locked together in, in a commitment of vows and your spouse is going to know you and they're going to know you through and through and wives can read minds of their husbands <laughs> they can do it and if we're not vulnerable if we're not saying if we don't say honey you're right like if because if, i think there's something about men we we just want to hold our ground we want to protect our stuff we want to hold our cards to our you know tight to our chest we don't want to show that we don't want to show our hand and, and I don't know, moms and wives have like this intuition that's like, it's like the sixth sense or something. And I think that if we can, if we as a husband can be secure in the love of God and know that God is for me as a husband, amen, Jamie? I mean, um, Jimmy? Like, I, if God, if we could know that God is for us, and I was thinking about Jimmy today and his, just the story of his marriage is amazing. If, if we could understand that God's love is, is towards us, we can be secure, and you know what happens? is that we can afford to be, we can afford to be vulnerable and say, honey. And you know something, I think that sometimes as men, we think, if I tell my wife what's going on in my mind right now, she's probably gonna, you know, divorce me 1,400 times in the next three seconds. You know, and that's not the way it is. I think that, I think that the security and the joy and the blessedness and the deep channels of communication in a marriage happen when there's a union there, when I, where I know that I can say to my wife something, and she knows God, and she's gonna, she's, not, she's gonna look at me, she's gonna rally around me, and encourage me, and pray for me, and, and be a helpmate. And that's a beautiful thing. I said, men, we need to learn how to be vulnerable. And it doesn't mean that I'm walking around telling everybody all the bad thoughts I have. That's not vulnerability. That's not true transparency. But it's like when there's something that, and I think that sometimes things land on our plate as husbands and as men, that we really need our wife. God says, I'm not gonna, I, you're a team here. I'm, your wife's going to come in and help you. I, that's, what I've, that's what I've called her to do in your life. And, and when we do that, oh man, it's painful. We've got we to gotta let go a little bit of our pride, a lot of our pride, all of our pride. And I think in vulnerability, there can be intimacy <clears throat> on, every le- on every level. <clears throat> Where two hearts repair a, br- a heartbreak by grafting together they can be the strongest right there at the break. Um, I think <clears throat> frailty of marriage is frail, and there's going to be torpedoes that come out of nowhere 
there's going to be train wrecks, and it's going to happen. I think <clears throat> this is how I see it, and I only know the first 30 years, so I'm going to tell you what I think, <clears throat> how it goes. <clears throat> the first five years, I think, of a marriage is just really two people getting to know each other. Selah, I'm going to take a sip here. It's really just getting to know, like, <clears throat> you know, I thought I knew this person. We're getting to know them, and <clears throat> there's no kids, maybe. Then kids come along, right? And then there's this whole other level of knowledge. Like, when we adopted Caleb, we were like, I saw an aspect of my wife that I had never seen before. 25 years of marriage. Can you believe that? We decided, hey, let's adopt a kid. <laughs> the 25 years of marriage, right? Like, we, we needed something exciting to do. And I saw something about my wife that I had never seen. I was like, oh my gosh, like this whole mother came out of her. This whole side of her I had never seen before. I'm like astounded, like my gosh, you're an amazing mother. You know, by year 12, there's usually some kind of heartache, hardship, financial, financial catastrophe, personal failure, um, health problem or something. By year 12, around there, this is not a, a hard and fast formula. But year 12, there's usually something that happens. And if it didn't happen this way for you, then that's okay. But by year 12, there's something, man, we've got to, you know, you're on the brink. You're looking over the edge of the abyss. I think by year 25, if, uh, you know, and I had, I, I heard one uh, great, amazing marriage counselor say, if you can make it the first eight years in your marriage and not break up and not, not throw in the towel, the chances are of you going all the way are much, are much better. And that's maybe some natural wisdom there. But by year 25, you're starting to look at things. You're starting to look like, you know, um, your, your spouse may be changing. And, you, you know, you're looking at things and you're thinking like, um, uh, and, you know, and sometimes spouses change and they become a stranger. They, they change into a, tr a stranger that you don't know. But you know, the perfect love of God never changes towards your spouse. If you don't, someone may say, well, I fell out of love with my spouse. I don't love my spouse. I mean, they, they're not the same person that they were before. That's gonna happen. There's gonna be times when we look at our spouse, we're gonna look at ourselves. We're gonna look at pictures of us when we were in our 20s, right? Or whatever. And we're gonna say, man, I've changed. But you know something? The love of God never changes towards you. Amen? It never changes. It never changes. And it will never, ever change. And you say, God, I don't know how to love my spouse. And that's a good thing to say because the longer we try to love our spouse in our own energy, the, it, it's just gonna, it, it's gonna always have the same result. We say, Lord, let me love my spouse the way only you could love her. And, and that's a prayer that God's gonna answer. God's gonna answer that prayer. And if you're single here today, you know, pray for the person. I mean, I think that most people, it's God's will for them to get married. And I don't know God's perfect will for all of you. But if you're single here, you're probably going to get married. And if you're not, then that's God's will and, and you're not missing anything. And by the way, we live in a culture today that if you're not married, then you're not as spiritual as the married people. That is such a farce, okay? Let's put that to rest. If you're not married and you don't have kids, or if you're married and you don't have kids, that doesn't mean anything about your spirituality. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't make you less spiritual or it doesn't make you have less of a portion of the body of Christ and you may be wondering why I'm saying this, but I've heard it said, if you're single, it, it, you know, because sometimes the attitude can be like this, well, we're gonna pray for you until you get spiritually mature to a place where you can finally get married and have kids. Like, that's not the way God thinks, all right? The enduring love of Christ in marriage, 
Number three, and this is Jude chapter, Jude 21. There's only one chapter in the book of Jude, and that's verse 21. Keep yourself in the love of God. You know what that means? Keeping yourself in the love of God. And this is where marriage starts. This is where the beginning of all marital conflicts and marital things get resolved by keeping ourselves in the love of God. In the English language, it's a little weak, but in the Greek, what it says, it says guard yourself. Guard your marriage in the love of God, in the agape of God, in the love of God. Guard it. Make sure that your marriage is abiding in the love of God. Lord, I don't know how to love. Then let God love you. And as we do that, um, we begin to discover the passion of Christ. Because the passion of Christ is the ultimate passionate love. So if we abide in Christ, there's hope to stay in love. Anne writes this, Anne Voskamp writes this, there's an old love that sees a kind of holy double vision that remembers a young lover in all their seemingly infallibility and sees your aged lover in all their beautiful humanity. This must be what it is, this must be what it means to be naked and unashamed, meaning being seen in ways that we wish nobody else ever saw us or ever knew and that we never really know, that we would never really know what it means to be loved. This kind of love means that, that, that I am known, marital love is this, I am known, all my frailties, all my brokenness, all the masks are gone, every, the failures, all, everything's out on the table, and yet God loves me and my spouse loves me. That is amazing right there. That's incredible. And, and I think we look at, we're in a society that looks at marriage like, man, young and pretty and hot and exciting and passionate and wow, this is incredible. And, and then this is, the, this is like the peak of all marriages. But really, the, if we understand the love of Christ is, you know, it's the most amazing, passionate, exciting, exhilarating love is this. I'll tell you a story. I have a friend in Maryland. His name is Bob. And he's probably now in his, close to his 70s. Maybe he's already in his 70s. And his wife is named Deb. And the last name is Moore. And it's not related to us. And he's a car mechanic. And he took my Volkswagen Passat, rebuilt the engine when it blew up. Those were the days when I thought German cars were great. And he rebuilt the whole thing. And just a very simple guy. Just a hardworking guy. Nothing... No one would look at him and say, oh, he's a pastor. He's amazing. You know, this guy is incredible. But um, he was, he's married, and he, had, he has some sons. And um, one day, um, his, his wife leaves the house, and she's on her way down to, um, to a meeting somewhere. And um, he, sh- he leaves shortly after her, and um, there's this merging onto... 95, Route 95, which goes up and down the East Coast. And she's merging onto that highway, and an 18-wheeler crushes her car into the Jersey, into that Jersey wall, you know, those cement walls, crushes the car right in, I mean, just, just like a pancake, it just crushes it totally. And Bob was like maybe minutes behind her, and there was this whole line of cars, it was traffic jam. And you know how you're in a traffic jam, you kind of see something up there, there's some blue lights, and you can tell that there's an accident, and he got up there and he sees his wife's car. And he realizes, oh my God, this is my wife's car. And he runs out of the car, runs up, and the ambulance is there. They're trying to resuscitate her. Uh, they got the they got a medic, medic, um, medevac coming in. 
They're going to fly her out. It's landed, and he's there. It's just that you can't even imagine. Like, I mean, a beautiful woman, both of them. He's handsome, um, living in a beautiful, like in a, in, a, in a county that's very similar to Montgomery County, um, you know, and his wife, you know, they're, and they're saying she's probably not going to make it. Well, she makes it. She had a massive head injury. She makes it, and they revive her. They bring her back. She goes down this road of like three years of just recovery, of rehabilitation. And I just was thinking about this. I think about this couple a lot. And this guy, like, I mean, I've never seen a guy like this in my life. Just he, every day, I mean, he didn't leave the hospital. He was there by his wife's side. She, she, she was in a coma for a long time. And when she woke up, she didn't remember anything. She didn't remember anybody. And she was just disfigured and just everything was broken. And I just remember like just talking to him, simple guy, simple faith. And he would just be there holding his wife's hand, praying best he could, reading scripture. So she recovers and she doesn't remember anything. And what he has to do is he has to love, he has to, his wife is like, she has some cognitive ability, her personality's changed, she's, she's coherent but she's very handicapped and she is she doesn't know her kids she doesn't know her husband and what he has to do is he has to re he has to win her heart again and he has to persuade her it's not a movie it sounds like a movie doesn't it but he has to persuade her that this is that he loves her and that her kids love her and this just went on for years and that's like maybe 20 plus years ago and i just saw a picture recently on on instagram of her and her husband and this man is just like, you know, I don't know how to explain it. Just loves his wife so much. And when you, you know, when you look at her, maybe there's not a lot to look at, but he sees something. He sees, he sees that girl, that, that girl he fell in love with, that soul is still there. And that's the love of Christ. To lay down your life when someone could just walk away and say, you know, this is over. I can't do this. And maybe people would say, okay, I understand you know, you got to look out for yourself, your own needs. But you know something? I think that this is a passionate love right there. The passion goes beyond death. It goes beyond, it goes beyond the physical. It goes beyond, it goes into something that's so deep. It's so powerful. It's, it's more than just falling in love. Passionate Passion in the English language literally means to suffer. Many other languages too. I don't know about Spanish, but like, in Ukrainian and Russian and Polish, that when you say the word passion, pasia, or these other words, there's a sense of like suffering and struggle and deep pain. And passionate love is, is and, and, and Anne goes on and says this, Anne Voskamp says this, the married, the married ones are the long sufferers. Falling in love is only the wild rush before the soft landing into a far deeper canyon of companionship through any pain and any suffering that leads the actual way to real bliss. The real romantics are the boring ones. <laughs> they simply let another heart bore down deep into their own until the two become one. And she says this, what could be more risque, what could be more suggestive than risking aging with someone until both are worn down into their bare souls? Isn't that amazing? I love that. What can be more passionate? What can be more an amazing love story and, and, and I want to just finish with this, is that this is a love that stays. Why? Because God stays with us. 
We fail him, we fail, and then we get victory, and then we fail again, and we walk away, and we get the answers, and then we walk away. God stays, and he doesn't leave us, and he doesn't forsake us because of Christ's blood, and this is the love that we have in our marriage, and by the way, we're gonna fail, we're gonna fall down, but look at the love of Christ toward yourself because what does a happy marriage look like? And I wanna just, I wanna finish it with this. It's, it's, I think it's eight things. I wrote seven, but on the way up here, I thought of an eighth thing. Number one, it's deep. A real happy marriage looks, looks deep. It's deep. It's, it's not the absence of infatuation that makes a marriage unhappy, but the, option, the absence of deep connection and deep channels of communion. Regardless of our marriage story, it's always true. Marriage isn't about being happy, but it's not about avoiding trauma and suffering. Marriage is always growing and growing through pain in the direction of Christ's love. Number two, it's growing, no matter how slow. You know, if your marriage is growing, you're gonna be okay. Any ecosystem that remains the same and never changes is stagnant and is dying. Pursuing an unchangeable state of happiness is only going to lead us to a stagnant state of despair. Happiness-centered marriages implode because that shifting center, it can't hold because things change, our happiness changes and think we live in a world of change Happiness comes and goes like the waves, but, but healthy relationships have a healthy relationship with the waves. And this is something that, that, that um, she points out in her article that she wrote on February 14th, is that healthy relationships learn how to surf in their marriage. They learn how to surf the waves, how to brave the waves. And rising and falling, and the fall, the rising and the falling in marriage, and trusting God to worship until we rise. Number three, it's a narrow way. It's a narrow way. A happy marriage looks like a narrow way. And the wedding aisle is the narrow way. And guarding ourselves in the love of God keeps us from the emotional, emotional affairs. And by the way, affairs can happen not just physically, but they can happen in an emotional, an emotional state. And to guard our hearts, to guard our marriages, to guard our families, we have this narrow way, which is the cross where two of us become stronger and we persevere and we suffer and change and we're being sanctified and grow, rising to a new life together. Marriage is just a constant state of two people forgiving themselves, That's what, forgiving each other. That's what one guy told me years ago. I said, what's the secret to your marriage? He said, it's just a constant forgiving of each other. Number four, what does a happy marriage look like? It just keeps vowing. It just keeps vowing. And this is the unspoken miracle of marriage. Like we keep our vow, we, keep, we vow to keep loving the same person who keeps growing in their own way, even when they grow into like a stranger. We say, I made that commitment. I made that statement. I, made, I said, I do. And by God's help, I'm going to stick to it. I, my mom and dad, amazing people. Maybe someday you'll meet my dad. He lives in Maine. Um, he's 80, almost 80 now. And um, God never quits, just you know, and he didn't have a great marriage. <laughs> it, was, it was a very hard marriage. It was one of those marriages that all, I mean, you grow up and you just, they're always fighting. You know, there's just, and I, I just remember my dad, like just times when it didn't look great. And he didn't, he's not like, you know, he wasn't like this super spiritual guy. And like, you know, it was just, he's just like, you know, I'm not gonna quit. I'm just gonna keep going. And he didn't quit. And you know what that provided in my family a place for my brother, Pastor Jason, my brother Wes, and my sister Becky, an environment, imperfect and broken, but it created 
an environment, a safe place for us to grow up. We grow up. And you know what? A marriage is a place where we keep vowing. And when things change, when people change, we say, you know what? God's here and I'm here. God's here and I'm here. And that's what's going to make it beautiful. That's what's going to make it beautiful. Number five, it keeps turning and chasing. It keeps turning and chasing. What turns around a marriage, a spouse's life is choosing in a million small sacred moments, celebrating the little miracles in the relationship as heirs to the grace of life. And instead of turning away to some distraction or turning away to some screen or turning away from, to, to some other, to, to something else, to some addiction, we turn to the face of our spouse. We look at our spouse and we look eye to eye, we look face to face and we and practice that, you know, practice that. Um, my son is learning how to, to look me in the eye when we talk and, and, and it's amazing how, how many days you can go by without looking into the eyes of your son or your daughter or your, or your spouse and have an eye-to-eye conversation. And we never want that to become awkward and we never want that to ever become weird, but we want to keep that warm, that face, turning the face-to-face, face-to-face relationship with Christ. Number six, the happy marriage looks like it stays. All young marriages may not look like the old ones, Honeymoon love is exhilarating, but it's the staying love that makes the love story, isn't it? It's the staying love that makes the love story. How many of us have ever gone to the store and we've seen an elderly couple? Real, I saw this the other day. Elderly couple just walking hand in hand across the parking lot. I, I just stopped and looked for just for a few minutes. I just thought, that is amazing. <laughs> I just looked at it. I thought, you know, and, and he opened the door for his, his wife, closed it, and God help us and if that's not your story it's okay because we're not living in a perfect sense of marriage here we're looking at the perfect unfailing love of Christ in closing number seven love has a marriage has a mission and there's got to be a mission in our marriage that's bigger than our marriage because if we don't have that then when things are shaky then we can lose sight we can lose sight of each other but if we have a mission if we have a community like the body of Christ if we're looking like our marriage is impacting other marriages and I love it how we have marriages in this body here that you don't have to tell them anything. They're already on it. Like, you know, I just, I, never, I don't really say a lot, but when new people come in here, we have people that just go right up to them and they're welcoming them because they have this marriage on mission. Abraham and Sarah had a mission in their marriage. If you ever want to do, and I just thought, how many of you have ever been to a marriage seminar where it's all about Abraham and Sarah? I haven't. I've never heard, I mean, it's amazing. If you look at their married life in the Old Testament, Abraham and Sarah, it's pretty wacky. I mean, it's, you know, at one point, Abraham's lying to Pharaoh that this is my sister and not my wife. And then Pharaoh's looking out his window and he sees them kind of sporting, which kind of has a romantic, you know, t- you know a romantic air to the, to the word. And they're seeing like, he's, that's not his sister. <laughs> you know, and, and Sarah has to put up with all these ideas that Abraham has, yet Abraham's God's man. I'm speaking really long this morning. I need to close. Priscilla and Aquila, New Testament. They're a married couple and they're friends of Paul. And you know what they do? They take a young guy, Apollos, who is an incredible preacher, an amazingly gifted guy, and they take him into his house, into their house. They, you know, Priscilla's probably cooking for him and Aquila's sitting, and, and sitting down and, and, and telling him, like, what is the message? What is the gospel? The finished word gospel. Our, our marriage needs to have a mission whether it's a business that has a mission for the kingdom of God, whether it's, whether it's evangelical or whether it's, um, 
loving on our neighbors or taking in kids, ministering to kids. Our marriages need to have a mission because if we don't, then without a vision, our marriage will perish. And I just want to close with that. When we look at, when we look at love, and there's going to be moments when we just look down and we just say, you know what? And maybe you feel that way today. And, and when I was studying this, I felt, you know, a thousand ways I fail in this. And that's not the point of this marriage that you would look at your, uh, uh, that's not the point of this message that you would look at yourselves. But that we turn our, way, our eyes away from ourselves and say, Lord, I'm broken. My vows are, pro- my vows are broken. They're broken. It shatters maybe. Lord, I'm going to look to you. I'm going to look at the husband, Jesus Christ, that never fails. And I'm going to look at the love in 1 Corinthians 13 that loves me when I can't love. And it's okay. And if you can just get secure in that, if you can just grow in the love of God and allow the love of God to keep your heart and keep it from just emotional, emotional wandering and the screens and everything. And I can't even believe, isn't the devil, don't we hate the devil? Like what has he done to our society? What's he doing to the nations of the earth? He is wrecking it. He's, he's bringing in gender confusion. He's bringing in, he's bringing alternative lifestyles that promote and that, that propagate a kind of love that is not true sacrificial love, but it's a love that is narcissistic and it's, and it's very possessive and it's very controlling. That is not the love of Christ. And let our marriages, and Lord, let's just pray right now. 